0: You say, Robert, that's a harsh condemnation. Well, you think about it. What has happened to us as a people that we would move from having on the very front pages of the New York Times and other prominent newspapers of the day, what was being preached in a church on a pulpit to now the church being mocked and ridiculed? What has happened? Well, I dare say that you probably have your own theories about how we have gotten to where we are. And there is no doubt that the sins of our fathers have visited the children to the third and fourth generations. That's true. But more importantly, here's the real question. How do we live in these days that we have been given? How do you and I understanding the faults of the past, live in such a way that we glorify God so that we do not repeat those issues, but then again, we don't commit those sins that are even more egregious than what's come before. How do we do this? Well, I want to suggest to you this morning as we get into the fourth chapter of Amos that God begins to reveal to us through the history of the Israelites the problem you and I face today as Christians in the choices that you and I must make And when I look at our culture and I think of what's happening, there are four things I like to cover from Amos chapter 4 that I want you to consider this morning from the Word of God. You are smart people. You are discerning. You are here to look at the Word of God, not the ideas of men. You look in your scriptures. You study the Word of God, and you discover whether what I'm going through is true from God or not. But here's what I'd like to cover this morning. First, please notice the idolatry of convenience. The idolatry of convenience. We're going to see that later as we work through this passage. Then we'll notice the the sarcastic call of godless worship. In other words, if you were to step back in those days of Israel and you would have gone to the places of worship, you would have said, wow, these people really love God. They say the Apostles' Creed with great conviction. They know the Lord's Prayer. They do all the right things. But then the prophet Amos says mockingly to the people, Y'all go ahead and worship. Go ahead. Go ahead. What good is it doing for you? The third thing of the passage is that there are warning signs that God has given all throughout those histories of the Israelites All through the many generations that have come and gone, God has given warning signs to those people so that they would understand that they are treading on dangerous ground. But instead of becoming aware of it, they completely either overlooked it, missed it, or are blind to it. And then fourthly this morning, please notice the consequences for the unrepentance that comes to God's people. Not to the world, but to God's people. Why is this so important? Well, let's look at the idolatry of convenience, the idolatry of convenience. If you go back to chapter, chapter 4 and look at verse 4, excuse me, chapter four, 4, verse 1 through 4, you will find something really quite amazing. Um, I, I grew up in a family that loved to be sarcastic. And, and so one of the ways that we showed love was being sarcastic. Uh, when, my, when my brother would call me on the phone And I would have it on speakerphone when my daughter was younger and and I wore a younger man's clothes. My brother would call and say, "Um, how are you, you dull tool? Uh, A dull tool is something that's not sharp, by the way. Did you all notice that? So that was a phrase we used in our family. Or if I called him on the phone, my brother would answer the phone knowing it was me, I guess because of caller ID, and he would say the first words out of his mouth, what do you want? Why are you calling me now? You know, and that kind of sarcasm is pretty much uh, how we showed love. And so this this sarcasm we're finding in Amos is really quite familiar ground for me. It may not be for you, because when he begins in this verse, if you look in chapter four, verse one, he says, "Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, you women who oppress the poor." Now, my wife has some friends that get together. And they gathered when they went up to New England and went out on a field and had a picnic. And they decided to nickname themselves. They called themselves the Cow Sisters. And I didn't know how to tell her that wasn't very complimentary to call people a bunch of heifers. But that's exactly what Amos is doing here. He is looking at the women who have become prominent in their country of Israel. Who are eating the fat of the land they have become wealthy they have become incredibly complacent in their faith in God because of their wealth and Amos writes these words hear this you cows, you heifers now the interesting thing about the word bashan there is it's a valley it's a beautiful valley in the northern part of Israel that was known for the rich fertile land that grew the grass that fed the cows I don't know if you've heard of a beef that the Japanese developed. It's called wago beef. It's one of the most expensive pieces of meat you can buy because of the way these cows are raised and they're pampered and they're, they're, they're raised in such a way that the premium of their product, these Japanese who produce this wago beef, makes the fat and the meat within the, 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 the cow's um, uh, meat itself, the properties, the cuts. Rich and splendid and aged and most delicious. In fact, there are certain types of wago beef that are more expensive than others because they are so overwhelmingly refined. I, I really didn't understand this kind of thing until Cindy and I and Ann were in Italy and we went there seeing how people would produce wines that they would never live long enough to drink and cheeses they would age long enough that they would never taste. Can you imagine spending your life aging a piece of cheese that you would never enjoy in your mouth? But that has been the culture of the European culture of the years, of the decades, of the centuries. You would think, man, isn't that great? The best of the best of the best. Well, what happens when you get to the top and you have the best of the best of the best. You think, well, I've arrived. Right? No. You become a prime target of complacency. And these women who really represent not just the women of the country but the entire population have become complacent because they have fallen into the worship of convenience. I was walking to Walmart and I noticed how people will drive for hours to find the parking space closest to the door have you noticed that why it's out of convenience Cindy and I were with some friends years ago and there was a there was a, a friend who is an engineer, and he hates spending money. He loves saving money. He never wants to spend a nickel he doesn't have. And his wife had to do some work in New York City, so they drove up there to be with her brother to do some work as an architect in that area. And as she's, as she's in the truck, he cannot bring himself to pay for parking in New York. So what does he do? He's driving around to trying to find a parking space that he can find in New York City. And I asked Katie, I said, well, well, how did that work out? How long did it take? She said, "I I got to the point where I dissolved in the seat in tears, begging him to please stop. I don't care how much the parking is. I'll pay whatever it is. And I said, but Katie, how long did you do this? She said, we drove around looking for a parking space for four hours. You see, there are things that you will do in your life out of convenience that other people will look at and say, that's crazy. But in the right circumstance, at the right time, you will choose convenience over work because of the nature that is in you. How do I know that? When when we talk about the convenience of worship... Many of you are in a trap right now because you want worship to be convenient for you. It's not about you. It's about God and what God requires of us in our worship of him. Do you hear this? Do you come to this church because it's convenient? And do you leave unchanged by the word of God? then you're in a religion of convenience. And the Israelites were experiencing that very thing. Most importantly, the, the thing that really is astonishing is how in that convenience, these women were oppressing others because to be convenient, we have to have ourselves served first. So they were literally taking advantage of those who weren't as wealthy as they were, and they were using those opportunities to oppress and crush them. and in so doing they were indulging in a in enjoying the fruit of the land at the expense of those who produced it. A couple of weeks ago we we have our dog Gus taken to the groomer her name is Dawn and Dawn is a wonderful groomer I would recommend her to anybody but I want you to know that I I almost think I insulted her one day because We were scheduled to take Gus to have him groomed on our day off on Friday. And so we woke up, and it was 10 o'clock in the morning. And we woke up to a phone call that Don had basically called and said, Hey, you're going to bring Gus, right? And we said, Oh, Don, we're so sorry. We're just so sorry. We're just sleeping in the bed, and we completely forgot about it. And she said, Oh, okay, well... I guess we can reschedule. The problem was that Dawn has only so many hours in the day. She grooms one dog after another, and that's how she makes her living. She has to have her schedule filled. And so in having her dog groomed, or having your dog groomed, you're literally taking two to three hours of Dawn's life. And she is devoting that three hours to servicing you. Well, as we forgot to bring Gus that morning, I began to think about that, and I thought about the Lord's commandments. Do not steal. And I went back to the Westminster Catechism and looked at what it says concerning teaching us about what it means to steal. How do we keep this commandment, and how do we break this commandment? And as I prayed through that, there was just something that was stirring within me that wasn't right. So as we celebrated being able to reschedule Gus's appointment and took him back to the the groomer, um, as we were settling the accounts, she said, um, this will be costing this much. And so I looked at her and I said, fine, thank you. And I looked at the check and I wrote it for twice as much. And I handed her the check and she almost dropped. She said, this is too much. You've paid me too much. And I said, no, Dawn, the, we missed the last appointment. I stole from you. I need to pay you for that hour that I took from you. And she kind of looked at me startled. And she she said, no. I mean, she really began to argue with me. You can't do this. And I finally looked at her and I said, Dawn, this is not about you. And she suddenly went light bulbs on, oh, you see what happened in that brief moment of grace in my life, and it was very brief, was the realization that if I had done this to Dawn, if I had abused her in such a way that I missed an appointment, and then she had no income for that moment, that I was really robbing from her, and I wasn't sinning against Dawn, I was sinning against the Lord then I would become a cow of bashan. I would be living life as to what is convenient for me. And in doing so, I would be denying my Lord as my God. The second thing that was happening in those days was that there was a a worship service that was going on continually throughout the nation of Israel. This is the northern part of the kingdom of God. It was the Judah was the southern kingdom, Israel was the northern kingdom. There was this worship service going on all the time. You could go to the worship service and clap your hands, praise God. Give sacrifices. Do all the things that they normally did. The only difference is that there were two rival places of worship. You see, the king of the north, as Logan explained earlier in the sermons uh, that prepared us for this study, that when Israel divided into two nations, Judah in the south and Israel in the north, the northern kingdom was so concerned because people would go down to the southern kingdom and worship in Jerusalem. He didn't want them to do that. It threatened his kingship. So what did he do? He chose two particular places of worship in the north. One was called Bethel, and the other was called Gilgal. And he chose those places not because he just pulled them out of a hat and said, oh, that's a great place, or because of their beautiful location. Well, look at the the beautiful scenery we would have from this high mountaintop. That wasn't the reason he chose those places. He chose them because Bethel was about 18 kilometers north of Jerusalem, which was a good enough distance for the furthest, in the, the furthest northern part of his kingdom and to have to forego the labor of getting up and going all the way to Jerusalem. They could just simply walk out their door and go down the street, so to speak. The convenience. In that place, Bethel, it was inaugurated as a sanctuary earlier in Genesis 8.28 by Jacob. It was a place that Jacob had worshipped God. So why don't we worship God here? Well, God had said, worship me in Jerusalem. That's why. But Gilgal was also just as an important distraction of the worship of God because it was on the edge of Jericho, which was a much closer place to Jerusalem But it was for those in the southern part of the kingdom so that they wouldn't have to go all the way up the hill to Jerusalem. They could just go to Jericho, so to speak, which was a little further to the east. And in that sanctuary, they would worship God, and they would would worship God with all they had. They would bring their morning sacrifices, just like they did in Jerusalem, but they did it now in Gilgal. They would bring their morning sacrifices. They would bring their tithe offerings. They would bring their token offerings of praise to God. And if you look in verse 4, look how, look how Amos describes their worship. He describes it in such mocking tones. Go to Bethel and sin. Go to Gilgal and sin yet more. Wait a minute. They're they're worshiping. This is a good thing. They're in church. (laughs) You don't understand. They weren't worshiping God. They were going through the formalities of what worship was, but their hearts were far from God. He says, bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three years, burn your leavened bread as a thank offering, and brag, here it is, brag about how much you've given to the church. Boast! Boast about it! But this is what the Lord declares. This is what I'm about to do because I love Israel. What did he do? Well, it's, it's really quite amazing. Even though the people were having the outward form of worship for God, their hearts were far from him, and God was warning them throughout that time. It, it really was a powerful thing. He brings warnings to them that their worship wasn't in spirit and truth, and because of that, they were warning signs God gave, kind of moments of clarity that they should have recognized, wait a minute, we're, we're not loving God. We're not loving him. And you say, well, wait wait a minute. I thought God was a God of judgment in the Old Testament. I thought God was a God who always punished people. I thought that, no. You see, the whole point of these warning signs was for God to extend grace to people. That they might repent and turn to him. And he goes through this litany. It's really quite frightening. It is so frightening because God gives you the same warning signs this morning. It is frightening to think that God has been giving us warning signs in this nation all the way since World War II. You say, what do you mean? Remember Ken Morrow? Ken used to sit right near where Rick Wagner sitting right now. He and Dot were faithful members of this church. Ken was a submariner. Do you know what a submariner is? It's a person who likes to be in confined spaces. I never understood that. And basically, when they build the submarine, they don't build it for convenience like a luxury lot. They build what they need to arm for that weapon, and then they try to fit people into the space that's left over. And Ken, from a very young age, he told me from a very young age, he said, I wanted to be on a submarine. And at that point, I marked Ken under the label, Needing Pastoral Care. (laughs) Well, he told me, after... Years after World War II, we're in Bible study and we're talking through the scriptures and a Bible study. And we were talking about the struggles our nation is facing. And Ken, almost with great clarity, sat up and he said, you know, I know exactly why we as a nation have suffered as we have suffered. And I said, what do you think that is, Ken? he said, it's because we never gave God the glory and the credit for our victory over our forces in, in World War II. He said, we as a nation never acknowledged it wasn't the atomic bomb, it wasn't the prowess of our, our military, it was the fact that God chose to bless America by having, helping us to have victory over those enemies that would have totally annihilated every religion, uh, Christian religion in the world. And he said, because we never thank God for that, it was his conviction is the reason we did not have victory in Korea, we did not have victory in Vietnam, and someone would say today, we did not have victory in Afghanistan. This is Ken's interpretation. What did he see? Well, he had a moment of clarity when he looked back upon the history of this country and said, God has been giving us warning signs for ages. What warning signs is he giving us today? What is he speaking loudly in our culture as we see an increase of racial tensions that has never happened in my lifetime? I mean, let's face it, when we elected Barack Obama, we were supposed to be a people who finally reconciled everything and yet we are more divided than ever before. Why? Why? The, the men and women who came home from World War II now are seeing their grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-grandchildren no longer in worship, turning from the one true God and worshiping all other kinds of things. Why? Is it a warning sign? Could it be that we as parents have not taught our children how to fear God? Could it be that we as, ch- as parents have not feared God ourselves? Could it be? Let me ask you, is there anything in your life that if you stood before God today you would be embarrassed over that you're doing right now? Do you think that God is immune to this? When you look at chapter 4, verse 6, here's how God was describing the Israelites' condition. And it's really, it's, it's eviscerating. I don't want to read it for you because it sounds like a litany of sorrow. It is actually... Truth being spoken in love. Have you ever had to tell somebody they're wrong? You ever had to do that? I never have to do that, right? Of course, you never have to do that for me because I'm always right, right? I mean, imagine how hard it is for my wife to live with me because I'm always right. You you hear that? It's arrogance, isn't it, right? Arrogance. Well, the people, the cows of Bashan, had become so arrogant that you couldn't tell them where their sins were anymore. Look, notice. Turn, turn to the scriptures. Look for it very carefully. It, it's very powerful in verse 6. I gave you empty stomachs in every city and lack of bread in every town, yet you have not returned. Verse seven. Also, I withheld rain from you when, in front of the harvest, was was still three months away. I sent rain on one town, but withheld it from another. One field had rain, another had none, and dried up. And people staggered from town to town for water, but did not get enough to drink. Yet, you have not returned to me. When I first came here, Hap Brantley, who was a farmer. And one of those men out of those generation of World War II said to me um, one afternoon after church, he said, did you get any rain this week? And I said, yeah, I got a lot of rain this week. He said, I said, how about you? He said, I didn't get any. I said, really? I'm surprised. He said, yeah, I guess I need to pray to pay the preacher. You ever heard that phrase before? I haven't paid the preacher. And I said, what are you talking about? Yeah, I mean, is there some... Money incentive for me here? What are you talking about? He said, he said, you know, when you don't pray the preacher, when you don't give your tithe to the Lord, how do you expect him to bless you? And I, and I really thought about that. There's a lot of things wrong, in, by the way, in that kind of theology. If you try to give me anything and you think that gets you in good graces with God, let me just dispel that notion right now. It won't help you a bit. But if you give to the Lord, now listen to me. If you give to the Lord, the Lord says that he will honor that and not allow you to be begging bread. I talked with an elder in this church just this past week who told me one of the things that he's grown in his love of God is the how at this point in his life he looks back and he said a long time ago when he came to this church he heard the challenge we gave about tithing and he said, I think I will begin to tithe. And he began to tithe. He said it was hard. It was not convenient. And he said, as I gave to the Lord, not to Robert Howard, not to the church, not to the elders, not to the deacons. As I gave to the Lord, I am more blessed today than I could ever possibly be. And it's not just in material possessions. I actually have children who fear God. And I can only attribute that, that God was merciful to me. He went on to say, there were a lot of things I wish I could go back and redo in loving God. I thought, what a powerful testimony. I won't go through the rest of the scripture there. You can read those. You can see what God has done to try to waken these people up. Not only did he he pour out famine and drought upon them to wake them up, an agricultural disaster. You look in verse 10, 11, and 12, there there was the warning of the fate of the cities of the plains. Apparently, just like Sodom and Gomorrah had had hail fire rained down from them and destroyed in other ways than that, God had allowed cities in Israel to be destroyed and decimated as warning signs that their enemies were close to coming and enveloping them and carrying them away, but they were instead not crying out to God. They were saying, what can we do to beef up our military? There was a, a complacency that somehow we would have the power to take care of ourselves and deny the need of God whatsoever. I've sinned that way, haven't you? Are you so are you so are you so blind to your own sin that you can easily point to my sin, but fail to recognize your own? That's what complacency does. We always find it easier, convenient, to blame other people for our problems. when in fact, we're the real problems of of our lives. Ah. Please notice the warning signs were not meant to be condemnation and judgment. They were meant to be condemnation and salvation. Do you know right now you can confess whatever it is to God right now. Tell him, this is what is keeping me from loving you. It's a sin. It's an idol. It could be money. It could be your children. It could be your position. It could be your own perception of yourself as being more important than you really are. But whatever it is, God will not takes second place in his people's hearts. He loves you too much to allow you to destroy yourself because the purpose of your life is to love God and enjoy him forever, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's what the catechism teaches. And the moment I fail to love God with my heart, mind, soul, and strength, I don't hurt any of you. I bring curse upon myself that's what I do the most amazing thing is that it brings us to that fourth part of the passage which is powerful and there are consequences of unrepentance consequences in the the EPC we have been praying as churches about the future of our ministries in the areas of the what will now become the The Central Carolinas, the Presbytery of the Central Carolinas. It goes all the way from western North Carolina past Asheville, west of that, south to Charlotte, including all the churches of Charlotte, and then going into South Carolina all the way down to a small town called Abbeville, South Carolina. Do you know where Abbeville, South Carolina is? Well, if you do, you win the the $100 gold ticket because I can promise you it's in the middle of nowhere. But all these churches are all looking at this circumstance of COVID and what has happened in our congregations and how COVID has revealed things about the people of this congregation and others that are completely worrisome. As spiritual leaders, we have become completely aware that we are a church that no longer understands and properly preaches the gospel because the people within our churches are not living out the gospel. They're beginning to fight with each other over masks. They're beginning to have bickering fights about what color things should be. And what's happening is, instead of the church being a powerful force of the gospel going out into this region, we are bickering like children who have been pampered too long. There are consequences for complacency. Consequences. What do I mean? Look at verse 12. God loved these people so much, he would not leave them. In this self-destructive place in their life. Do you know that? You talk about a God of grace and love. That God so loved them. He would not leave them in this place of complacency. Listen to this. He says in verse 12. Therefore this is what I will do to you Israel. Because I will do this to you. To prepare to meet your God. I remember when I was young, my aunt and uncle were taking care of us one weekend. We were, we were wonderful, obedient children. <laughs> I'll never forget my uncle looking at me and saying, Boy, it's time to face your maker. And I didn't know what that meant. And then I found out the maker was a yardstick that was an inch thick. And when he whipped me, it was some child abuse. It was genuine punishment for what I did. And if he had never done it, I would have thought he didn't care. Do you know we have become such a child-focused culture? We more cater to children than ever before, and our children are spitting in the parent's eyes. Because if you let your children have their way, they will have their way leading a life of sin. And as parents, you are called by God's authority to show them that they are not sinning against you, they are sinning against God. And today, what's happening? Well, whatever Johnny wants... Whatever Susie wishes. When Ann was a middle school teenager, she decided that she needed a cell phone. Fourteen. And so I sat down with her one afternoon and I said, okay, honey, tell me, what, what is it about this cell phone you need so badly? She said, well, if I'm at school and it's an emergency, I really need to have the phone so I can call you and I said well if there's an emergency you can go to the office and they can call me or you can call me from the office you don't need that cell phone and she gave about 20 other thousand excuses of why she needed the cell phone until finally I looked at her and said sweetheart you're not telling me the honest truth what is it about the cell phone that you feel like you have to need and she broke down in tears and said daddy everyone else has a cell phone and I don't fit in I want to be accepted do do you hear those words I want to be accepted I'm hearing that from people who are living all kinds of lifestyles that are far from God I want to be accepted and I said honey I know that you want to be liked and you want to be loved by others but having a cell phone will not do that for you but if you love God and you trust him, he will make you the kind of person that people will want to love. And she kind of thought about that for a while. Not sure if she was convinced of it. Wrestled with it probably a number of years. But let me tell you, my friends, the reason God punishes us, and he does, He punishes us. Now please don't misunderstand me. God does not take away people's lives. That's judgment. But God does arrange things in life where we have trials. If you go back to the first chapter of James, he lays this out clearly. In chapter 1 of James, we are taught that God is not the author of evil, nor does he do evil things. But God, knowing that we are going to be tempted by our own sinful desires, allows trials to come into our lives where those opportunities for our flesh to be quickened and made active, God allows those times so that we can see whether we truly trust God and love Him or whether we'll trust in ourselves or satiate our own desires that are in opposition to God Do you hear me you see right now the church is going through a trial and the trial is this do we really believe the gospel of Jesus Christ because the people who are not in these churches are not coming because or uh, we won't be able to attract them because if we have wonderful music people will not come to this church because we are such a friendly church people will not come to this church because we have the right programs all of those are externals people will come to this church meaning will become a people who have a relationship with you you're the church Because you are convinced that you have come to know God through Jesus Christ and now have peace with Him through the cross. And as people see that peace in your life with Christ, they will suddenly be attracted to the one who gave that peace to you and want to know who He is. Are you at peace with Christ this morning? Or are you using the convenience of worshiping other things? And is it robbing you? Is it destroying your Christian walk? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then Jesus added and the second of the greatest commandments, you will love your neighbor like you love yourself. Wish you hadn't put that in there, wouldn't you? If you don't think I've scratched the itch, if you don't think I have put my finger on the pulse of our culture, It's okay. But you better discover what it is. You better take some serious thought as to who it is you are worshiping and what our culture is worshiping as well. Because if there's no distinction, then you are just as lost as the Israelites. But if you know Jesus Christ... And you are continuing to grow in your relationship with Him. And God says, I will restore you. What a merciful God. Merciful. Someone like